Section 22 of The Natural History, Volume 5. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by JLF. The Natural History, Volume 5 by Pliny the Elder. Translated by John Bostock and Henry Thomas Riley. Section 22, Book 25, Chapters 1 to 7. Book 25, The Natural History of the Wild Plants. Chapter 1, When the Wild Plants Were First Brought into Use. The more highly esteemed plants, of which I am now about to speak, and which are produced by the earth for medicinal purposes solely, inspire me with admiration of the industry and laborious research displayed by the ancients. Indeed, there is nothing that they have not tested by experiment or left untried. No discovery of theirs which they have not disclosed, or which they have not been desirous to leave for the benefit of posterity. We, on the contrary, at the present day, make it our object to conceal and suppress the results of our labors, and to defraud our fellow-man of blessings, even which have been purchased by others. For true it is, beyond all doubt, that those who have gained any trifling accession of knowledge keep it to themselves, and envy the enjoyment of it by others. To leave mankind uninstructed being looked upon as the high prerogative of learning. So far is it from being the habit with them to enter upon new fields of discovery, with the view of benefiting mankind at large, that for this long time past it has been the greatest effort of the ingenuity of each to keep to himself the successful results of the experience of former ages, and so bury them forever. And yet, by Hercules, a single invention before now has elevated man to the rank of gods, and how many an individual has had his name immortalized in being bestowed upon some plant which he was the first to discover, thanks to the gratitude which prompted a succeeding age to make some adequate return. If it had been expended solely upon the plants which are grown to please the eye, or which invite us by their nutrimental properties, this laborious research on the part of the ancients would not have been so surprising. But in addition to this, we find them climbing by devious tracks to the very summit of mountains, penetrating to the very heart of wilds and deserts, and searching into every vein and fibre of the earth, and all this to discover the hidden virtues of every root, the properties of the leaf of every plant, and the various purposes to which they might be applied, converting thereby those vegetable productions which the very beasts of the field refuse to touch into so many instruments for our welfare. Chapter 2. The Latin Authors Who Have Written Upon These Plants This subject has not been treated of by the writers in our own language so extensively as it deserves eager as they have proved themselves to make inquiry into everything that is either meritorious or profitable. M. Cato, that great master in all useful knowledge, was the first, and for a long time, the only author who treated of this branch of learning, and briefly, as he has touched upon it, he is not omitted to make some mention of the remedial treatment of cattle. After him, another illustrious personage, C. Valgius, a man distinguished for his erudition, commenced a treatise upon the same subject, which he dedicated to the late Emperor Augustus, but left unfinished. 
At the beginning of his preface, replete as it is with his spirit of piety, he expresses a hope that the majestic sway of that prince may ever prove a more efficient remedy for all the evils to which mankind are exposed. Chapter 3. At what period the Romans acquired some knowledge of this subject. The only person among us, at least so far as I have been able to ascertain, who had treated of this subject before the time of Algius, was Pompeius Lanius, the freedman of the Pompeius Magnus, and it was in his day, I find, that this branch of knowledge first began to be cultivated among us. Mithridates, the most powerful monarch of that period, and who was finally conquered by Pompeius, is generally thought to have been a more zealous promoter of discoveries for the benefit of mankind than any of his predecessors, a fact evinced not only by many positive proofs, but by universal report as well. It was he who first thought, the proper precautions being duly taken, of drinking poison every day, it being his object, by becoming habituated to it, to neutralize its dangerous effects. This prince was the first discoverer, too, of the various kinds of antidotes, one of which, indeed, still retains his name, and it is generally supposed that he was the first to employ the blood of the ducks of Pontus as an ingredient in antidotes, from the circumstance that they derived their nutriment from poisons. It was to Mithridatus that Asclepiades, that celebrated physician, dedicated his works, still extent, and sent them, as a substitute for his own personal attendance, when requested by that monarch to leave Rome and reside at his court. It is a well-known fact that this prince was the only person that was able to converse in so many as two-and-twenty languages, and that, during the whole fifty-six years of his reign, he never required the services of an interpreter when conversing with any individuals of the numerous nations that were subject to his sway. Among the other gifts of extraordinary genius with which he was endowed, Mithridates displayed a peculiar fondness for inquiries into the medical art, and gathering items of information from all his subjects, extended as they were over a large proportion of the world, it was his habit to make copies of their communications and to take notes of the results which upon experiment had been produced. These memoranda, which he kept in his private cabinet, fell into the hands of Pompeius when he took possession of the royal treasures, who at once commissioned his freedman, Linnaeus the Grammarian, to translate them into the Latin language, the result of which was that his victory was equally conducive to the benefit of the Republic and of mankind at large. Chapter 4. Greek Authors Who Have Delineated the Plants in Colors in addition to this, there are some Greek writers who have been treated of this subject, and who have been already mentioned on the appropriate occasions. Among them, Cratuus, Dionysus, and Metrodorus adopted a very attractive method of description, though one which has done little more than prove the remarkable difficulties which attended it. It was their plan to delineate the various plants and colors, and then to add in writing a description of the properties which they possessed. Pictures, however, are very apt to mislead, and more particularly where such a number of tints is required for the imitation of nature with any success. In addition to which, the diversity of copyists from the original paintings and their comparative degrees of skill add very considerably to the chances of losing the necessary degree of resemblance to the originals. And then, besides, it is not sufficient to delineate a plant as it appears at one period only, as it presents a different appearance at each of the four seasons of the year. Chapter 5. The First Greek Authors Who Wrote Upon Plants 
hence it is that other writers have confined themselves to a verbal description of the plants indeed some of them have not so much as described them even but have contented themselves for the most part with a bare recital of their names considering it sufficient if they pointed out their virtues and properties to such as might feel inclined to make further inquiries into the subject nor is this a kind of knowledge by any means difficult to obtain at all events so far as regards myself with the exception of a very few it has been my good fortune to examine them all aided by the scientific researches of antonius castor who in our time enjoyed the highest reputation for an intimate acquaintance with this branch of knowledge i had the opportunity of visiting his garden in which though he had passed his hundredth year he cultivated vast numbers of plants with the greatest care though he had reached this great age he had never experienced any bodily ailment and neither his memory nor his natural vigour had been the least impaired by the lapse of time there was nothing more highly admired than an intimate knowledge of plants in ancient times it is long since the means were discovered of calculating beforehand not only the day or the night but the very hour even at which all eclipse of the sun or moon is to take place and yet the greater part of the lower classes still remain firmly persuaded that these phenomena are brought about by compulsion through the agency of herbs and enchantments and that the knowledge of this art is confined almost exclusively to females what country in fact is not filled with the fabulous stories about medea of colchis and other sorceresses the italian circe in particular who has been elevated to the rank of a divinity even it is with reference to her i am of opinion that aeschylus one of the most ancient of the poets asserts that italy is covered with plants endowed with potent effects and that many writers say the same of circe the place of her abode another great proof too that such is the case is the fact that the nation of the marsi descendants of a son of circe are well known still to possess the art of taming serpents homer that great parent of the learning and tradition of antiquity while extolling the fame of circe in many other respects assigns to egypt the glory of having first discovered the properties of plants and that too at a time when the portion of that country which is now watered by the river nilus was not in existence having been formed at one recent period by the alluvian of that river at all events he states that numerous egyptian plants were sent to the helena of his story by the wife of the king of that country together with the celebrated nepenthes which ensured oblivion of all sorrows and forgetfulness of the past a potion which helena was to administer to all mortals the first person however of whom the remembrance has come down to us as having treated with any degree of exactness on the subject of plants is orpheus and next to him musaeus and hesiod of whose admiration of the plant called polyum we have already made some mention on previous occasions orpheus and hesiod too we find speaking in high terms of the efficacy of fumigations homer also speaks of several other plants by name of which we shall have occasion to make further mention in their appropriate places in later times again pythagoras that celebrated philosopher was the first to write a treatise on the properties of plants a work in which he attributes the origin and discovery of them to apollo Aesculapius and the immortal gods and general democritus too composed a similar work both of these philosophers have visited the magicians of persia arabia ethiopia and egypt and so astounded were the ancients at their recitals as to learn to make assertions which transcend all belief 
Xanthus, the author of some historical works, tells us, in the first of them, that a young dragon was restored to life by its parent through the agency of a plant to which he gives the name of Bolus, and that one Tylon, who had been killed by a dragon, was restored to life and health by similar means. Juba, too, assures us that in Arabia, a man was resuscitated by the agency of a certain plant. Democritus has asserted, and Theophrastus believes it, that there is a certain herb in existence which, upon being carried thither by a bird, the name of which we have already given, has the effect by the contact solely of instantaneously drawing a wedge from a tree when driven home by the shepherds in the wood. These marvels, incredible as they are, excite our admiration nevertheless, and extort from us the admission that making all due allowances there is much in them that is based on truth hence it is too that i find it the opinion of most writers that there is nothing which cannot be effected by the agency of plants and that the properties of by far the greater part of them remain as yet unknown in a number of these was herophilus a celebrated physician a saying of whose is reported to the effect that some plants may possibly exercise a beneficial influence if only trodden underfoot be this as it may, it has been remarked more than once that wounds and maladies are sometimes inflamed upon the sudden approach of persons who have been journeying on foot. Chapter 6. Why a few of the plants only have been used medicinally, plants, the medicinal properties of which have been discovered, the Cinerodos, two remedies, the plant called Draculus, one remedy, the Britannica, five remedies. Such was the state of medical knowledge in ancient times, wholly concealed as it was in the language of the greeks but the main reason why the medicinal properties of most plants remain still unknown is the fact that they have been tested solely by rustics and illiterate people such being the only class of persons that live in the midst of them in addition to which so vast is the multitude of medical men always at hand that the public are careless of making any inquiries about them indeed many of those plants the medicinal properties of which have been discovered are still destitute of names such for instance as the one which we mentioned when speaking of the cultivation of grain and which we know for certain will have the effect of keeping birds away from the crops if buried at the four corners of the field but the most disgraceful cause of all why so few simples are known is the fact that those even who are acquainted with them are unwilling to impart their knowledge as though forsooth they should lose forever anything that they might think fit to communicate to others added to all this there is no well-ascertained method to guide us to the acquisition of this kind of knowledge for as to the discoveries that have been made already they have been due some of them to mere accident and others again to say the truth to the interposition of the deity down to our own times the bite of the mad dog the symptoms of which are a dread of water and an aversion to every kind of beverage was incurable and it was only recently that the mother of a soldier who was serving in the praetorian guard received a warning in a dream to send her son the root of the wild rose known as the sinarhodos a plant the beauty of which had attracted her attention in a shrubbery the day before and to request him to drink the extract of it the army was then serving in lacetania the part of spain which lies nearest to italy and it so happened that the soldier having been bitten by a dog was just beginning to manifest a horror of water when his mother's letter reached him in which she entreated him to obey the words of this divine warning he accordingly complied with her request and against all hope or expectation his life was saved a result which has been experienced by all who have since availed themselves of the same resource 
Before this, the Sinerhodos had been only recommended by writers for one medicinal purpose. The spongy excrescences, they say, which grow in the midst of its thorns, reduced to ashes and mixed with honey, will make the hair grow again when it has been lost by alopecy. I know, too, for a fact, that in the same province there was lately discovered in the land belonging to a person with whom I was staying a stalked plant, the name given to which was Dracunculus. This plant, about an inch in thickness and spotted with various colors like a viper's skin, was generally reported to be an effectual preservative against the sting of all kinds of serpents. I should remark, however, that it is a different plant from the one of the same name of which mention has been made in the preceding book, having altogether another shape and appearance. There is also another marvelous property belonging to it. In spring, when the serpents begin to cast their sloth, it shoots up from the ground to the height of about a couple of feet, and again when they retire for the winter, it conceals itself within the earth, nor is there a serpent to be seen so long as it remains out of sight. Even if this plant did nothing else but warn us of impending danger, and tell us when to be on our guard, it could not be looked upon otherwise than as a beneficent provision made by nature in our behalves. It is not, however, the animals only that are endowed with certain baneful and noxious properties, but sometimes waters even, and localities as well. Upon one occasion in his German campaign, Germanicus Caesar had pitched his camp beyond the river Renus, the only fresh water to be obtained being that of a single spring in the vicinity of the seashore. It was found, however, that within two years of the habitual use of this water was productive of the loss of the teeth and a total relaxation of the joints of the knees. The names given to these maladies by medicinal men were stomachase and scleoturb. A remedy for them was discovered, however, in the plant known as the Britannica, which is good not only for diseases of the sinews and mouth, but for quinsy also, and for injuries inflicted by serpents. This plant has dark oblong leaves and a swarthy root. The name given to the flower of it is vibonis, but if it is gathered and eaten before thunder has been heard, it will ensure safety in every respect. The Frizzi, a nation then on terms of friendship with us and within whose territories the Roman army was encamped, pointed out this plant to our soldiers. The name given to it, however, rather surprises me, though possibly it may have been so-called because the shores of Britannia are in the vicinity and only separated by the ocean. At all events, it was not called by this name from the fact of its growing there in any great abundance. That is quite certain, for at the time I am speaking of, Britannia was still independent. Chapter 7. What diseases are attended with the greatest pain? Names of persons who have discovered famous plants. In former times, there was a sort of ambition, as it were, of adopting plants, by bestowing upon them one's name, a thing that has been done before now by kings even, as we shall have occasion to show. So desirable a thing did it appear to have made the discovery of some plant, and thus far to have contributed to the benefit of mankind. At the present day, however, it is far from impossible that there may be some who will look upon these researches of ours as frivolous even, so distasteful to a life of ease and luxury are the very things which so greatly conduce to our welfare. Still, however, it will be only right to mention in the first place those plants the discoverers of which are known, the various properties being classified according to the several maladies for the treatment of which they are respectively employed and taking a review of which one cannot do otherwise than bewail the unhappy lot of mankind, subject as it is, in addition to chances and changes and those new afflictions which every hour is bringing with it, to thousands of diseases which menace the existence of each mortal being. 
it would seem almost an act of folly to attempt to determine which of these diseases is attended with the most excruciating pain seeing that every one is of the opinion that the malady with which for the moment he himself is afflicted is the most excruciating and insupportable the general experience however of the present age has come to the conclusion that the most agonizing torments are those attendant upon stangery resulting from a calculi in the bladder next to them those arising from maladies of the stomach and in the third place those caused by pains and affections of the head for it is more generally in these cases we find and not in others that patients are tempted to commit suicide for my own part i am surprised that the greek authors have gone so far as to give a description of noxious plants even in using which term i wish it to be understood that i do not mean the poisonous plants merely for such as our tenure of life that death is often a port of refuge to even the best of men we meet too with one case of a somewhat similar nature where m varro speaks of servius claudius a member of the equestrian order being so dreadfully tormented with gout that he had his legs rubbed all over with poisons the result of which was that from that time forward all sensation equally with all pain was deadened in those parts of his body but what excuse i say can there be for making the world acquainted with plants the only result of the use of which is to derange the intellect to produce abortion and to cause numerous other effects equally pernicious so far as i am concerned i shall describe neither abortive nor philtres bearing in mind as i do that lucullus that most celebrated general died of the effects of a philtre nor shall i speak of other ill-omened devices of magic unless it be to give warning against them or to expose them for i most emphatically condemn all faith and belief in them it will suffice for me and i shall have abundantly done my duty if i point out those plants which were made for the benefit of mankind and the properties of which have been discovered in the lapse of time. End of section twenty two. Recording by J. L. F.